It is not a long chapter, but again, very powerful. And did you notice the first word? I hope that maybe now in the course of this study, you are seeing that the first word can be very important. You know, whether it's a therefore, last time we were in Romans, Romans 12, it started with therefore. And so then we just, we just reviewed, we reviewed Romans 1 to 11. And then because all what all Paul wrote in Romans 1 to 11, therefore, in view of all that, how about offering yourself back to him? How about saying thank you with your life and letting him use you? And now today he starts with, and again, one of these first words, I think it helps you to see that he, he is a no-nonsense he doesn't leave room for, yeah, but, or except for, or my situation is different. No, he starts right off by saying, what? What word? Everyone. Remember Romans 10 where he said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who dares come to the Lord in crying, saying, I need you. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. He said, anyone who was willing to call on my name, I will save him. Oh, his everyone's are all-inclusive. And so when he sees, when you see this one, you see everyone, it, it means the very same thing. There is no yeah, buts. There is no, no Republican, Democrat. This is not a political lesson. This is a biblical lesson that happens to pertain sometimes to political things. But this is a biblical lesson. And so everyone... And then what's the second, what's the second word? Uh, there you go. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Now, were there any parentheses that says, oh, except for if you don't like them. Or except if, if um, you know, things don't go smoothly and... Uh, it, you don't agree with the vote or what. I mean, there's no parentheses here. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities. And now watch what he says. For there is no authority. I mean, sometimes Paul just will be a little wordy. But there are times when he knows a message has got to get across. He uses absolutes, and he, he says, I don't want any room for any human to try to weasel in there and put their own twist on it. You can't. Not when, you use word, when, you, when he uses words like that. There is no authority except that which God has established. And you think, well, you know, uh, that doesn't make sense. Why would he have, maybe, maybe there'd be a person in leadership that isn't, and in an authority that is not spirit-filled and is not a Christian. Why would that? I don't know. 
He just knows what he's doing. He knows how to work. He knows what needs to happen for people's attention. He need, Sometimes, what happened, by the way, what did it take for the church in Acts chapter 2, what did it take for that church to get out of Jerusalem and start the whole thing going to Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth. What did it take? Persecution. That's right. It seems like when Christians are persecuted, when, when, the, when the fire gets hot, that's when Christians start kicking it into gear because what happens when things are just going our way? We just, I'm telling you, Proverbs has really shown me, and I hope it has shown you, that when Solomon talks about laziness, it's not just lazy, good for nothing, people that don't want to work. He's talking about spiritually lazy people that are, are really good for nothing because they are not applying and working at this to be able to live this out because it's too hard or I don't want to, and I don't want to study, and it interferes with what I want to do, and same thing. And so um, he, he says, all right, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Now watch. He knows you didn't buy it the first time. So he's going to say the very same thing again. Look at the authorities that exist have been established by God. He just reversed it, but he said the same thing. Now, I couldn't help but think that there are, there is one time, there is one time, and I just want to take a minute, just a minute, to say there is one time that we do not have to submit to the governing authorities. I remember last election, I remember last election, oh, man, I got into some big trouble. But you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it again. Because, you know, I do believe that it was since we were in such a state. And I remember someone in class said to me, um, Lena, um, I just don't think that we're going to vote at all. We're not going to vote at all because we don't like either one of them, and so I'm not going to vote at all. And, you know, I remember saying to them, you know, that is not an option because as American citizens, guess what? You are going to have a leader. Whether you like it or not, one of those two candidates is going to be the leader. Well, how do we know which one to vote for? They're both just so ridiculous. And I said, well, you know what? You, you go and you search God's word and you say, what is the most important spiritual principle to me? Now, there's never going to be a human candidate that's ever going to meet all the spiritual criteria. But you do go to the one, the, the, you pick out one that is the dearest to you. Now, for me, it happens to be life. And so you go to, you go to that word life. And why, do, why is life so important to me? Because God breathed life. God breathes life into humans. And Job said that it's the Lord that gives and it's the Lord that takes away. And I don't believe anybody has a right, a human right, to do God's job. To me, that is very important. So to me, even though, you know, I just had to go to the candidate that I thought stood for that principle that is important to me. 
And, and, oh, yes, I know that, you know, in the course of this year, you know, there's many of us that have rolled our eyes and just wished that he would just be quiet. <laughs> and yet I think to myself, you know, this man, because sometimes he just seems to have an edge. But, I, that, that, Betty, I like what you said because there was one thing. And I really prayed about this, if I should say this out loud or not, because I don't want Bible study to be political. But I think it goes along with this lesson today where he said, you know what, you vote the way you think you need to. And then what? Submit. Submit, because now God's going to take it from there. You do. He is up to something. He knows what he's doing. And so, but there was one instance there was one instance that all of a sudden there was a vulgar word said, and he was describing the country of Haiti. And I remember hearing that. And you know what my first impression when I heard that was? Now, I don't talk like that, but I'm thinking, boy, did you nail that right on. And I, and I couldn't believe the hubbub that came from that because of the fact everybody said, oh, now he's calling the Haitians. He's, you know, he wasn't talking about the people. If I've been there. I've been there. And if you have ever been in that country, if you've ever looked down the streets of that poor country, I'm telling you, if you've ever smelled that country, I'm telling you, he nailed it. Because that country is full of sewer and garbage. And why is that? The people are so beautiful. The people are so wonderful. But why is it? Because they've got such a crooked government. And all the money that has been given and all the goods that have been given goes to that government. And I'm telling you, there it sits on those docks. And it doesn't get to those people. And those people suffer. And then, the, the, another reason why I thought, if the people don't think this through, we've just got such a divided nation, they just want to hear the bad. And the, I'm telling you, I thought of my own grandchild who comes from there. And I thought to myself, I thought, oh, my goodness, he is so right on, even though maybe he was a little crude about saying that. But you know what? It is such, it is such a sad place because of the deceit that's going on there and the crookedness that's going on. Because Jody and Chad were, were given this child. They were, they were, they were told that, that Greta was going to be theirs. And so when they get a picture of her, and from that day on, we know that she's going to be ours. She's not, she's not even, she's not even, I mean, six months or so. And we just can't get our hands on her quick enough to get her out of that orphanage. And if you ever saw pictures of this orphanage, oh, breaks your heart. How those children are living. And so you think, oh, can't get her hands on it. Chad and Jordy would go numerous times. Do you know that they had to pay a lot of money every month? They paid every month for, for that child's room and board. And I can't begin to tell you the astronomical fee that they paid every month. And so because they're so crooked, not the orphanage, but the people the, who's controlling the purse strings, guess what happened? They didn't get it for over three years. Three years, that child stayed in that, that country. Finally, they were told that they could come and get her. 
They went down there. They, they took a picture of her holding her little American passport. It was so adorable. We thought, okay, it's 10 to 5. Chad calls, and he says, oh, he said, there's one piece of paper yet, and they will not sign it. And if they don't sign it by 5 o'clock, the, 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 the place closes, and all of our tickets, everything, we're ready to come home. And we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when they'll release her. It's 10 to 5. <clears throat> 5 to 5. He told us his story later. Two minutes to 5. He said he took a $100, bill, $100 bill out, and he said, well, there's help. Stamped it right there. So, you know, why am I telling you this story? Because last night there was a couple of men that were here, and I heard them, and they were politically talking, and they were so bad mouth, and they were doing everything. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to have the nerve to get in trouble again if need be. <laughs> but I have to say to you that no matter who you voted for, no matter what your belief is, as an American citizen, we do what we can, and then what? Romans 13 says... God's in authority. God's in control of all things. And he knows what he's doing. And you just be at peace. And you, instead of being negative and critical, what does the Bible say to do? You pray. And you watch how, I don't know if you read what, what our president wrote in, in, um, in memory of Billy Graham, what he wrote. It was so beautiful. It was so touching. He, he knows. I and mean, we have a vice president that is just such a stand-up-for-Christ Christian. We have got it made. We walked in here this morning, and no one stopped us. I know there's a lot of crazies out there, and I know that anything can happen anytime. But for the most part, our freedom is so beautiful that we walked in here this morning, and we sang up a storm. And no one stopped us. And we opened our Bibles. And we had the freedom. And yet, I think sometimes we take our authorities and we badmouth them. And, we, and we're critical and we're negative. Remember with the proverb last week that said, you know what? It's time that we either just turn around and don't listen when people are talking like that. Or we dare say something. I think in this chapter, Paul gets so firm when he says the word, it's time to wake up. So we have to look, and that's why we sang the songs this morning. We have a wonderful country. We have authority. Because do you know what was going on when Paul wrote this? Do you know the kind? Was he in some cushy kind of government that he thought, oh, it's so easy to obey the government? No, he was under the control of Nero. Nero was one of the worst dictators. He was the, one of the worst leaders. And, and he, he set a fire in Rome uh, and put Rome on fire. I don't know exactly how the terms of what he did, but it was his fault. Well, he didn't want to take the blame for it, so he blamed Christians. And they were thrown to the lions. It, they were, it was, it's brutal. And yet Paul does still say, obey, because they have been put there submit. God knows what he's doing. You just do what I tell you to do, and that is to live out Christ. Pray for those in authority over you. Watch your mouth. Live in the hope 
That we don't, it's not about a man. It's not about a woman. It's not whatever happens. I don't care who is in control of this nation. We do not rely on that for what means the most to us. But I just think this had to be said. And, and there's only one time, and I think we see that in, with Daniel, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were under tyranny rule of Babylon, when they were in exile for the 70 years, what did God tell them to do to, to, live, to live God out in this, in this pagan Babylon? That's what God told those people. I'm going to put you in captivity for 70 years, and then after 70 years, and you come to your senses, then I will, I will bring you back back home because I've got plans for you and I'm going to bring a savior through you. But in the meantime, you're going to learn something. And you're going to learn that even in this, in this God forsaken place, you can still be a light. And you watch men like Daniel, because didn't you, when you know that story, since you were a little kid, did you ever wonder, did you want to say to Daniel, why don't you just shut the drape? <laughs> or why don't you go pray in, in the corner? Just stay out of that front window. <laughs> because it seemed like it said it'd be such an easy thing. You can still keep your prayers going, but they don't have to know it. But that's not Daniel. Because he, so, he was so not ashamed. And he didn't care what the cost. And so he prayed three times a day right smack in that front window. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the same kind of thing. I cannot, I cannot not stand and do what he has said. And, and in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles, they looked right at the governing authorities and said, when they said, we told you that you are not to speak in his name. And Peter looked right at him and he said, sorry, but uh, uh, we got to serve God rather than man. That's the only time, the only time when our, when, when our Lord is, is being challenged. And then don't you say, Lord, make me brave enough. If somebody has a gun to my head and said, do you believe in Jesus? I have the strength to say yes. One child died in school. Because of course, we all know the stories. And, 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 and according to Jesus, he said that his Holy Spirit will give us the strength just when we need it. We, we can count on that. But, but in the meantime, he said, Paul brought back. So until then, I mean, it's kind of like that song all I have to get back to the obeying this government. Whether I like it or not, or whether I agree or don't agree, I hope that I've spent enough time getting you to see that Paul does not give us any room for debate on this one. And then he says, consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. You know, I look at that word, you could say rebel or you could say rebel. <laughs> And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. That's why in the first question I asked you, what would this world be like if we didn't have governing authorities, if we didn't have a chain of command? I mean, it's just utter chaos. And so he says, I just want you to do. And, you know, if you do what's right, you don't have to be fearful of the authorities. You just do what they tell you to do. 
He's like, for he is God's servant to do good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. I mean, he just in this simple ta- in this simple paragraph, he says, "There's there is no there is nothing you can say that that can get you to say I don't have to do that." He said, "You don't have to agree, you don't have to like it, you just do it." This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time in governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. Oh, I like this one (laughs) because we don't see this one very much. If respect, then respect. You respect that governing office. You respect the fact that God's got that person in there for whatever reason. If honor, then honor. You just do it. Now, I don't know if you understood what I was trying to get at in the questions. In question three, as an American citizen of heaven, I put it together first. As an American citizen of heaven, where is your responsibility? American citizen of heaven. To me, it's a two-parter. As an American citizen of heaven, what is your responsibility? To obey what? To obey God and to obey the government. As American citizens, this is what we're told to do. And if this, if our country is not saying that we have to stop, we ha- that's the only time we can we can say no. But otherwise, he's saying, as an American citizen, you need to obey. As a, as a citizen of heaven, you need to obey God's word. And then I said, what is your responsibility as an American citizen? Okay, now, you know, it's, it's simply, again, I wanted to, to put it together. Yes, I, I am responsible to the Lord, and I'm responsible to this country. You, you, if I just say I'm an American citizen, I'm responsible to obey this government. As a citizen of heaven, I'm responsible to obey God's word. And then he, they took us to Luke 20. And we all know that story. And, he, you know, if you read the whole story, you will see that the people were trying to trap him using, of course, money. They thought for sure they had him. And they said, you know, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know, and they thought, boy, no matter which way he goes. So Jesus said, okay, give me a coin. They give him a coin. Who's the picture or not? Well, Caesar, okay? I mean, very simple. He says, give to Caesar with Caesar's and give to God with God's. And, you know, for the longest time, I thought, well, he's saying, well, pay your taxes and then pay your tithe. (laughs) And that's always kind of what I thought. You know, pay your taxes and pay your tithe. Give give to God with God's and give to, to the government with the government's. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, no, what he is saying is that, you know, you, you, you do with your money what you have to do with your money in obedience to the government. But what does God want? Does God, oh, I know missionaries need it, ministries need it, but does God need your money? No. So when he says give to God what's God's, he is not asking for our money. What is he asking for? 
He's asking for you. He's asking for me. He's asking for us to just plain submit to him. And here again, he's saying, okay, if you submit to me, then that means then you will submit here and you will submit here and you will then know what to do next. But all it is is that he's saying, give to Caesar with Caesars, but what does God want? He just wants me. He wants to change my heart because then what comes out of me, I love the proverb where it says, we're a new house now. We've been established by new kinds of instruction. Our rooms of our heart have been filled, and it's changing us. He said, so when you hand over yourself, because that's what God wants. He wants you. Then he then, through his spirit, will start changing you, and then you'll have the right moves to make. What an answer he gave. Okay, then he moves on. Then he moves on, and, and I think there's going to be a real pattern to why he puts it in, in, in the order that he puts it in in this chapter. So, okay, let no debt remain outstanding. Very, again, cut to the chase. Does, does the Bible ever um, say debt is okay? No, he never does. The Bible never says that debt is okay. Does our world, I mean, I think about the trap that the, the world is saying about debt. I had a neighbor once, get this, she came over, this is when we were younger, you know, and you all, the neighbors all were in the streets watching their kids and that, and so she was saying, she says, well, if you see that, we get a lot of things and a lot of deliveries. Um, we're, we're filing for bankruptcy, and they said, just charge all your credit cards to the top. Might as well charge them all to the top. So if you see a lot of deliveries, it's because, and then we're going to file for bankruptcy, and then, and you, you've seen the ads too. If you owe so much to the IRS, then call us, and or if you've charged and your credit cards are way beyond, um, just call us, and, and we'll get them down. And I'm thinking, why don't you call them up and then let them people, have those people say, um, you're overspending. Stop it. That proverb, Solomon, he's just using common sense. They'd live within your means and you won't get into this mess. But we live in, in a world right now that's saying, just charge it. And it's perfectly fine if you can't pay it. Someone will get it out because it's not your fault that you spent too much. I mean, that. remember last week when we were going through the Proverbs, there was only one word I could describe, and that was stupidity sometime. I mean, Solomon, is the, I can almost hear uh, Solomon say that, and, and, and with Paul, too, with Romans, there was sometimes I could almost hear Paul say, what is the matter with you people? Aren't you thinking? But when you're constantly listening to folly instead of wisdom, because they're both calling out to you, and it's, oh, it's much more fun to listen to folly. Then Solomon and Paul are saying, when are you going to learn that you're going to pay for that? You are going to suffer the consequences. Would you wake up? You know, so he said, you know, and I haven't looked up Dave Ramsey. He's such a great Christian guy, you know, and I thought, I'm just going to look him up. And, you know, he says, I tried to find, um, there's just no good debt. There's no such thing as a good, is good debt. It's just not good for you. And then he says, but I love the way he said, but except one. 
It's kind of like um, we are to submit to governing authorities always except for one. We are to not be in debt except for one, and that is the debt of love coming out of us. Except the continuing debt to love one another, for he, he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And when you see the word fulfilled the law, I don't know if you, maybe law is kind of a, 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 kind of a hard word. Um, and sometimes it can be misunderstood. So I just changed the word to Bible. Because he says, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled God's word. Is what did God say? I mean, you think about what's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God. What is the first fruit in the fruit of the Spirit? Love, he says, when your heart is changed by God's love. Because what did John say? First John 4. This is what love is. Not that you love God, but that he loved you first. It's that kind of love, that kind of life-changing love. He says, when that love takes over your heart, it will change you. And then he makes this statement. He says, um, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you know, when you got a handle on that word love, when you have the love of Jesus working through you, guess what? None of these other commandments will be an issue. Because you're going to be listening to wisdom. You're going to hear God's instruction, and you're going to hear, you're going to hear him tell you how to, what to do and, and how to act and how to be and what decision to make. You're going to be able to hear the Holy Spirit say, I'm greater than that tempter. And so when that temptation looks so good to you and it's just you think that you can't handle it, well, come to me because I'm greater than that temptation. So, you know, it's, Paul says everything about Jesus' love working in you will affect. You won't even have these issues. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And boy, you know, love your neighbor. And that's relative. Neighbor is anybody. <laughs> neighbor is the person on, on the beach that Adele ran into. Neighbor is that lady in Meyer in the, in, the, in the line. Neighbor is whoever God puts you, and he is saying, I want you to love with the kind of love Jesus had for you at Calvary. I want you to love like that. And then he says something that I think is, is kind of in your face that I don't want to see, but the fact is he says, I want you to love them more than you love who? Oh, and I don't want to think that I love myself. Oh, but we do. We do love ourselves. We want our own way. We don't want to be hurt. We, we want everything, you know, the way, you know, we've got it all planned. We love ourselves. That's why he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of God's word. See, again, not complicated. The love of Jesus that he had at Calvary. See, that's why even in Romans 13, you still go to the cross. I don't think there's a chapter in God's word that we could study, even though it doesn't have a, a, a whole section about that Jesus died on the cross. It might not even say that. It doesn't say that here. But guess what? <laughs> it all stems from there. 
The only, the only way that I can, can know this kind of love is by going to that cross. Love is a fulfillment. Jesus started it. Actually, the Father started it. By loving us, and Jesus said, yes, I'll do it. And, and do this, he said, and do this. Understanding the present time. He said, I want you to do this. <laughs> Understanding the present time, and what is the present time? We're running out of it. We're running out of time. The hour has come. You know what he's saying? The hour has come. Just stop being lazy. Stop being complacent. Stop being afraid of what people think. Stop being afraid that it might just get you in a little hot water. Paul says, remember Romans 10? How are they going to know? You have got to, look at what he says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. And what does that mean? From, from just being, you know, ho-hum, dozing off, thinking, well, we've got plenty of time. And people will take a look at this and say, well, see, that's hundreds of years ago. We probably got hundreds of years. You know, we got plenty of time. You hear, you, hear, you know, kids today saying, you know, I, I got plenty of time because I want to have my fun first, and then I'll listen to this later. Paul is saying, would you wake up from that kind of attitude and that kind of slumber and that kind of laziness and that, that kind of complacency? You are going to stand in front of your Savior. Look what he says, because our salvation is near now than when you first believed. Now, when he says your salvation, your salvation is near now than when you first believed, what is he saying? He, I mean, obviously, you, you've been saved through the cross, but what does he mean your salvation is near now than when you first believed? Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, the second coming, he, because Jesus is our salvation. So when he says, because our salvation is near now, he's saying Jesus is near. His second coming is a whole lot nearer than what it was before. Every day is a day closer. Would you wake up from your slumber and start acting like it? I loved it when he says, the night is nearly over. The night is nearly over. What's he talking about here? He's talking about this dark world as we know it. I love it in Revelation 21 where when he says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old order of things has gone. This world, sad to say, as beautiful as it is and as much as you can stand on the beach and look at the ocean and you look at the big, beautiful sky this morning and you see the feel of spring and all this kind of thing, I know this is my father's world. I know that. But I've watched what sin has done to this world. And I just see the way, you know, the way I pray this morning too, I watch what's taken over our children's minds. I took care of my grandchildren for five days this past week, and I got my eyes full. <laughs> I 
just can't believe it. And my children, I mean, my grandchildren, you know, it's just, it, it, they didn't do anything wrong. It's just that this is what they're doing nowadays. And, and I can see that the night is nearly over. Satan has, he is just, oh, he's just lying and people are buying into it and, and they're getting sucked into the traps, all the things that Solomon has been trying to warn us of. We're, we are getting sucked in. Even weak Christians are getting sucked in. But fortunately, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Okay, so the, the darkness of sin is almost done, and the day is almost here. What are we talking about here? In Revelation 21, don't you just love it? I used to sing the song that said, no more nights, no more pain, no more tears, no more crying again, only praises to the great I am, and I will live in the light of the risen lamb. And then there was a, there was a, a place in the song where it said, see over there, there's a mansion prepared for me where I will live with my Savior eternally. And then I, I, just, I would just let it rip. There will be no more nights. And, and I just couldn't help but think of that when I, I thought of that song. And I remember when I was in that doctor's office and he said to me, he said, okay, Linnell, I'm going to give you your first treatment and 52 years of singing it will be over in 30 seconds. And I never really hesitated. The only thing I still remember that went through my mind was, oh, I wish I could sing No More Nights one more time. That was the one song that seemed to really just go, oh, loved it. And so it came to my mind when I'm hearing these words, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness don't assume, don't, don't get so sucked up into thinking that sin is fun and that, oh, it's not so bad. And I, 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 just, I just love what he says. Instead, put on the armor of light. Paul has a way of talking about this. He did it here. He did it in Ephesians 6. Put on. Put on the armor. And the reason he uses um, war terms is because we're in a war. And who are you warring with? Who's your worst enemy? Your own self. I know, I know that we have a tendency to, to blame Satan. But James has taught me different. He said, you know what? You can't say Satan made me do it because he can't. He just can dangle the bait in front of you. But it's in your own self-desires that you buy that. So he says, come on, put on that armor, because that armor is what's going to give you the fighting material that you need. He goes into more detail, of course, in Ephesians 6. You know, he talks about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, your feet firmly planted in the gospel. I mean, you know, he uses every one of those pieces of armor is your relationship with Jesus. Every one of them. And he says, every day put that on and it will be sufficient to keep every arrow of Satan away. You will be empowered. But, but don't you like the way he says put on? So whose choice is it? That's right. I mean, he doesn't say, oh, just get out of bed, stand up, and I'll just put that on you. 
No, he doesn't put it. He doesn't put it on. He says, get up, get out of bed, and you put it on. You got to want this bad enough to put on that armor because you know you need it because you're in a battle today. You're in the battle against your own self. He says, let us behave decently. And I know as we go on, we think, well, you know, that's for those real bad people. I'm not them. You know, when he talks about orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery, you know, it's so easy to pass that off. And he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, uh, you stop right there because, you know, Every one of us has a little level of that in there somewhere, and you think that I don't see, and I know how you are thinking. I know everything. So I can read your mind. I can read your motives. You need work. And so he says, would you wake up and realize that you need help? You need to put on the armor. And then he added, not in dissension and jealousy. Let's not behave this way in dissension and division. And, you know, that's, that is so, just by our conversation, remember in Proverbs where it says, you know, you hang around with angry people or you get involved in angry conversation before you know it. Guess what? You're angry. I mean, such practical, again, such practical wisdom. Like I was listening to that conversation. It just took one man, and before you knew it, this conversation went to about six of them. And that did it for me. I thought, you know what? I'm going to say what I have to say here. You know, you stop talking about him that way. Maybe you didn't vote for him too bad, but God's got him in position. Now you you start praying for him. Very good point. You're very, very right. I mean, you know, why did you, why do you think Jesus chose fishermen? I mean, you know, he didn't. He did not take. He chose the everyday Joe Blow guy that just knows how to relate to people. And and uh, you know, instead of, um, I think you can almost get to a political jargon vocabulary that you don't even know what they say. I think you can. They've got such a way of talking that they've just kind of boozled right over you. You don't even know what hit you. So you do need basic. We need basic truth. We need basic everything. Just get, that's why I said, you know, go back like Billy. Go back to the cross. Go back to gospel 101. That's where we need to be brought back to every time. And so then the look at he said, stop being dis- full of dissension and division and jealousy. Oh, he, re, he puts that one in there. You know why he puts that one in there? Because that's such a subtle one. Such a subtle one that is such a destroyer, though. And uh, But then 14. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. And I think as women, we can all understand what clothes can do. I mean, they, if 
they could change how you feel. They could change um, how you present yourself. They can change. Uh, there's something to clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus, and it will make a difference in how you are perceived and how you perceive yourself and how you act and look. I love the way he said, it's like he understood his women. If I use that, because maybe they don't understand armor. Maybe we don't quite get the armor thing, but, but yet we do. But yet he says, if I say clothe, clothe yourself, you will see that that can change. Now, I'm going to take you to your questions a little bit. And question eight, look, it says, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, to whom do you put your trust in? Now, how long did it take you for you to write God? I, I know, I know. It took you no time at all to write God. When it comes down to it, to whom do you put your trust in? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I knew every one of you knew the answer. But I'm going to ask you, it might take it might took you about two seconds to write that three-letter word God, but I'm telling you, that can change your life. If you put that answer down, then that says to me that you are trusting him. You are trusting him with your life. You're trusting him with who he puts in authority over you. And then what about who is your hope in? Oh, same thing. I bet. G-O-D. Yeah. But again, that can change your life. You put your hope in, and that the hope is that for sure thing. You put your sure thing. You put your life in His hands. You believe that He's up to something. You believe that your future is already. See over there, there's a mansion prepared for me. You live in that hope. I'm telling you, it changes your life. Who will always be in control? Again, it took you such a little bit of time, but it would change your life if you believe that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have you go to Isaiah 6. I'm going to let you picture. Now, whether Isaiah literally saw the Lord, I'm not sure, or whether he just shut his eyes and let the Holy Spirit fill his mind with what Scripture, the little bit of what we know about how God reigns. Oh, when you hear Isaiah say, I saw the Lord. He was, sitting, he was seated on the throne. And you and I, if you take the time, see, but oh, we're way too busy. But if you take the time and you sit there in the quietness and you, and you say, I see the Lord. And he's seated on the throne. And he is high and exalted. And the train of his robe fills this place with glory. And the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, it was an experience. Experience that that Isaiah was having. And God was in such a sovereign place that all of a sudden Isaiah came back and said, oh, I mean, all he could see, put his hand, oh, what was me? I mean, then he saw himself. I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing when you put God in his place and you stay in yours. The last question, what does it mean to be ready for the return of the Lord? And I told you I was going to now have you go back, and no, we're not going to go back, but I want you to think back of the first part of Romans 13 when, oh, we get so shook up because, oh, dear, wonder if who we want doesn't get in, or, oh, dear, if he says something that, oh, no, now what's going to happen, and, oh, you know, 
oh, the news and oh, this, and you can just feel yourself. <laughs> tell you, you, you take the latter part of Romans 13, and then you go back, and you are almost embarrassed and ashamed that you let things of this world get you out of whack. Because I just, you just told me that you rode God for, when does it, when it comes down to it, whom do you put your trust? Who is your hope in? Who is always in control? You just told me you rode God for all three of those. Then you go back to the first part of Romans 13 and just hear Paul say, then just do what you're told. And don't worry about it. It just takes that all that fear away. Because, you know, from what we know, the way that we've been told is that the, the, this world as we know it is gone. And we will be a part of a new heaven and new earth, and we will dwell with him, and he will dwell with us, and all will be perfect. What in the world? Paul says, what's the matter with you people? Solomon is saying, come on, just don't be so ridiculous. You have got everything that you need. Are you ready? If you are ready for the return of the Lord, then you're excited. Don't you love it when, when um, John says, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, come quickly. And if you're ready, you are saying those words, come quickly. But why isn't he coming quickly? Why isn't he coming right now? Why isn't he coming this very second right now? Because you got work to do. I got work to do. Put on that armor of light and go out there and wake up and realize that someday you are going to stand in front. And, yes, we can sing, oh, what a day that will be with Jesus. We will see. Well, oh, boy, if you're not ready, that's not going to be too exciting. You're not too looking forward to this. See, if you're not ready, oh, this terrifies you. So how can you and I be so ready that we are saying, come, bring it on. But until then, we better be doing what? We better open up these two covers. We better be listening to the instruction. We better be paying attention. We better be um, putting on that armor of light. We got to be clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus we better continue to build that new house that's firmly established on God's word. And that every area of, of our heart will be affected and we'll, people will react to it. We've got work to do. Work, work for the night is coming. Work for the night is coming. But that fits right into what Paul is saying. Because night is going to be gone, and we will forever live in the day. Hmm. Now let's go live like it. Have a good week.